0: So I don't lose it. Uh, okay, let's get started. Welcome everybody. This is the Betts Business Book Club January meeting and we're discussing, I never know what direction things, oh and it's green going I mess stuff up, <laughs> subscribed by Tian T-Z-U-O-2. I don't, I'm not totally sure how you pronounce the name. Um, I don't know uh, how many people on here read it or not but this is I would say one of the most important business books that I have read recently that wasn't a serious academic tome. Um, I actually, from my own business, just recently have been transitioning into a subscription-based uh, fee structure, and it is not the easiest transition. And this book, like, was mind blowing. I kind of wish I'd read it a couple years ago when he put it out, I think it's from 2018, something like that. Um, and it's it's really like, I hate to throw the NBA jargon out there, but it's a paradigm shift. It is not, uh, you know, one day you just say, hey, I'm gonna do subscription-based uh, fee structure and away you go. It's a bit more complicated about that than that. Um, but I think if anything it showed us how powerful subscription services are, it will be the lockdown, the Corona lockdowns of 2020 because anybody here have a Netflix account or signed up for multiple streaming services during this whole situation. I know we added um, Disney plus whatever it is. Uh, um, I think we, I know at least I've contemplated another one just to get the other spinoffs of The Walking Dead. (laughs) So I could watch those because they're not on Netflix, Um, but it's just, it's so powerful, but it's such a different approach than what you might have done in the past. And that's true whether you've got a service or a product, right? Because you're shifting from a transactional relationship with your uh, customers to much more of an ongoing relationship with them. It's not like a one and done. And even when something that's sort of recurring, like for me, I do a lot of taxes. People come year after year, but, you know, once a year, isn't so much of a relationship as once a month or once a quarter, even it's just, um, it's a really different approach. And I think I have a whole bunch of things flagged on, on my book, which I'm not going to show you to screw up my background here but um, you know, one of the things is actually in the, like the very last paragraph, and he says that when you switch to a subscription-based business, you're focusing your business model on the happiness of your customer, right? And it, it kind of seems like, well, shouldn't everybody do that? But we all have dealt with plenty of businesses that do not focus on your happiness. Right? Have you ever had a deal with Comcast or at and They do not care about your happiness. And that's a subscription business, but um, in a, a more modern, agile, flexible, very you know, modern kind of a business, your, your, how, your, your relationship with your customers and their level of happiness is so important, especially with social media, right? How quick is someone to say, oh, this restaurant was terrible, I give them one star on Yelp, uh, you pan them on Google, whatever it is, it's a it's a huge thing that you you need happy customers. So, I'm sorry, I'm a little jumping around here. Um, let's see. You know we don't have a lot of readers to talk about it, but um, I'm trying to see. So, okay, so I think one of the, important things, and I don't know how to show this. You might have to go out and get the book unless he's got some of these infographic things uh, online somewhere. But he talks about the old traditional business model versus the new model. So the old one is kind of like, you have your product or your service at the top and it goes down through different channels. Like, how are you selling? Um, You know, you're selling like through a store, you're selling online, things like that. And then you get to your customers. So it's kind of, uh, you start at the top and make your way down to your customers. Whereas this, you're gonna make your customers the center of your world. Um, So has anybody had any experience with this trying to shift how you are maybe delivering your product or service or anything like that? And if you're shy, you can type it in the box. (laughs) You don't have to unmute yourself. I'll read it out there.
1: So I think one of the interesting things to me was, You know, this was clearly, in his experience at Salesforce, his first experience really trying to build a customer-centric organization, because a lot of the concepts, some are very subscription-oriented and the importance of monthly recurring revenue, which I thought was really interesting, and then others were just kind of the general, like you're alluding to, are your customers happy with you, are they wanting to stay with you, because your churn rate is really important. Like, I think one of the most interesting things, because he's a Salesforce guy, is having dealt with Salesforce a bunch of times, is they talk this great subscription game about how you know their customers are always there month after month, but the bulk of their customers are on two year or three year contracts. So you know it's a little bit of a mixture because if you look at a lot of the SaaS companies he's talking about, they all try to get you into an annual prepay where they give you one or two months free. So even though monthly recurring revenue is the metrics we're all tracking, everyone's really trying to get a- annual recurring revenue You know, and there becomes a question of, you know, when you're modeling it, what I thought was interesting is, you know, working from that assumption, you know, like if you assume, if you start from the idea that your clients are all coming back next year, less some churn rate, 10%, 20%, whatever you historically know, you kind of flip your model in your head of, what do I know is coming in? What am I trying to get coming in? As opposed to, you know, the starting from blank slate that salespeople love to be like, ah, my month to date numbers are back at zero and start going it creates a little bit more of a, how do you tie your expenses to your revenue? Not in an accounting sense, but in an actual like operational sense.
0: Okay, I know I have a couple of accounting people on here, so I'm just gonna hop right in. He like totally destroys our tried and true uh, P&L report. He's like, it's so worthless because, uh, you know, it it doesn't take into consideration things like it's recurring revenue. And he's right, but I think what he's... So he tells a story about how when they were were trying to shift the business model in his own business that um, he he brought the proposal to his board of directors. And one of the things he talks about in the book is a lot of times when you're shifting from your traditional business model into this uh, subscription model, is that a lot of times in the very beginning, you're gonna take a revenue hit, right? Because instead of having these big, um, especially these software companies, instead having these big uh, purchases like QuickBooks desktop, right? Oh, it's a couple hundred bucks. You're going to buy it each year or not. You know, sometimes people don't buy it for years on end and just use the old legacy version, but you're expecting to have these big sales. And now here you are saying, okay, instead of having, you know, $300 sale once in a while, now uh, QuickBooks online, you shift to that. And it's like, oh, well now it's only $20 a month. So at first it looks very scary. And he tells a story that he brought this with his CFO. He brought it to his board and they were like, you guys want (laughs) to like give your customers more and bring in less revenue. Are you crazy? So he reworks his whole P&L and he, he really trashes, trashes the P&L and tells you how like it's not helpful, blah, blah, blah. And I think he's a little bit right, but, and this is like a real technical accounting thing because he's an MBA. So he doesn't really, really know accounting. He's, he models a cash flow, right? Because he starts talking about how you've got your recurring revenue and your recurring costs to support that revenue, and the difference between those two things is kind of um, almost like your cash flow, right? Because the rest of it is I'm going to call it overhead. It's not really overhead, but it's everything that else supports the business, like your payroll and your your rent and like all those kind of things. So. I thought it was interesting that he's just coming up with a different approach to uh, just looking at the money in your business and how that works. I don't know if anybody's got any ideas about that, about how our traditional P&L doesn't necessarily work for for all new business models. I mean, I I like that because it was a geeky accountant thing.
1: Um- Well, I think yeah. one of the interesting things, you know when you talk about the PNL is one, it's backwards looking. So it's not actually a helpful decision making tool. You know, the P is designed for very simple purpose. SEC regulated entities being able to have financial uh, the financials that we can all read on, but doesn't tell you anything because what you're calling cash flow, you know, cash flow and revenue, in a world of credit cards are kind of the same thing. You know, n- almost nobody's running real net 30 anymore. N- you know, your invoices get paid either right away or you're chasing people down for like six to eight months. No one actually, you know, processes a check 30 days later. I mean, not virtually Virtually no one. So so I think a lot of that is true. And look, uh, this is the usual West Coast. Ah, we've discovered something brand new and it's really the same as everyone else's, but we gave a new term on it. So, I mean, look, that's gonna come when you read a Silicon Valley book. But, you know, to me, the most interesting thing is if you don't know what your sales are and you're guessing, you've got a much higher risk issue than if you know you've got either contracts or inertia. Because, you know, if you have a contract for next year, OK, the only thing I'm worried about is them not paying their bill and breaking their contract. If I don't have a contract, but I have people that stay on year after year, well, I know what my churn rate is. So I know that I'm going to have roughly the same less that. So I, I think in both cases, you know, compared to, you know, to me, it's a pro forma on a cash flow basis that's actually based on something. So I think like that's kind of, you know, my, if I look at my, you know, recurring revenue stream instead of a, well, I made something up in the pro forma, then I end up with the same kind of the same thing because it's really, I'm projecting out revenue for next year.
0: Yeah. Okay, so this is a very specific um, model that he likes to use in lieu of um, a PNL. So, uh, and and I'm like uh, a profit first professional that is <laughs> tries to explain to clients frequently how their PL and their cash are not the same, and it's sometimes confusing. But you know, he breaks down. Uh, his traditional model was you have sales, less the cost of goods sold. So whatever expenses directly relate to your product. Um, and that gives you your gross income. Then you're gonna subtract out your sales and marketing, R and D, administrative, and that leaves you with net income, right? So this is a very basic P and uh, structure. So his structure that he's using, right? He uses the um, uh, annual recurring revenue run rate. Right, and uh, you and you're going to spend a percentage of this to be your cost of goods and to reinvest in the business, minus your churn, right? And your churn, for those of you who don't know what churn is, it's when you lose customers, right? So it's like, oh, someone signs on, eh, they don't really like it, they they cancel. Um, and when you add, when you so you take the annual re- recurring revenue minus your churn plus your uh, annual contract value for your new and existing clients, it gives you a um, annual run rate that you're expecting at the beginning of the next period. So it, it lets you kind of start the month and kind of what Alex was saying, you kind of know what you're getting into at the beginning of the month, instead of starting back at zero, which is a really a bit of a novel way of looking at things. Um, all right, so let me, let me get a little bit like specific. One of the things he talks about as being a bit complicated is pricing. And I think that's true regardless of your business model. Um, I think most of us on this uh, call are business owners. It's one of those things that we struggle with all the time. Like, am I charging enough? How do I know? And if you ever try to do a flat fee or a a value-based fee structure, it's so complicated, <laughs> and I will tell you, I have screwed it up many times, and <laughs> taken advantage of uh, a number of times. Um, and I think he said it here when he he surveyed a bunch of company, traditional companies, and they said they only spent like ten hours a year or something on their um, their pricing. And I'm like, I could, I feel like I could spend an entire day, you know, once a week thinking about my pricing. So pricing and packaging. Um, it's a hard, it's probably one of the hardest things to start um, as far as kicking off a subscription based model for your company. Um, and you really need to put a, a, a lot of thought, not just in the price, but what are you going to do? Um, in setting up my various packages and whatnot, like we've already re- gone and, and changed and restructured I don't know, probably like three times in the last two months. Uh, And I've tried this before. I've tried to set up packages um, in the past and it's not worked. (laughs) It's not worked well at all. So it's really a bit complicated. But the thing is, if you're um, able to test, right? If you set something up and you try to bring on some clients to see how it works, you can quickly see, yay, it's good, nay, it's bad, and adjust it from there. So you really have to kind of keep an eye on his, um, you know, his little cash flow and see how much is it costing you to service the, those monthly customers so that you don't end up in a position where you, it costs you more to service them than you're getting in the, the, not just that month, but you have to look at some, a bit of a period, maybe a year, because you don't want to set yourself up so that your prices are too low. And then you just kind of tailspin and the business can't take off. So if you can get into that right mix of prices and services, you'll set yourself up for continued growth, which is kind of cool. Um, Let me see what else, pricing and packaging. That was pretty darn important. Um, Oh, and acquiring your initial set of customers. So especially if you're already in business, this is not gonna be for all of your existing customers. They had, a whole, they had a whole story in this book about Adobe um, where they had a switch from their big software package uh, and, and they wanted to kind of move it into the subscription-based um, like cloud offering. And they couldn't just like boom, flip a switch and do it. They had to keep the, their traditional and then slowly bring on new people and slowly move people over. So, uh, oh, and acquiring your initial set. So, yeah, you, you got to find um, customers that are kind of in line with this style of thinking, which can be a challenge, you know. And and you're um, you're not trying to sell to everyone literally. You got to find people who are kind of on board with what you're what you're trying to provide. I give you guys some good stuff in here. If anybody's got any thoughts or anything, hop right in. You don't have to listen to me the whole time.
1: (laughs) So, one of the things in there that wasn't as much like the accounting related was talking about really the businesses and how they work. You know, like you mentioned Netflix. If we remember in like ancient times last century, you would go to Blockbuster. And yeah, you paid an annual fee for membership or whatever, but you paid to rent a video, and then you return the video. And a lot of people focused on the late fees and all that, which was everyone hated. But in the case of Netflix, whatever package you had, you paid whether you turned the videos over eight times in the month or never. And you know it was you know the consumer space usually moves faster than the business space. You know when this all came out, you know I was in the it uh, it space and. You know, when they talked about infrastructure as a service and software as a service, we're you know, it was kind of crazy because, you know, you, you bought a server and it lasted for three to five years and you paid for your software and maybe you paid for upgrades or not, you know, but it was always, you know, what were we going to spend? But nobody knows how to do a capital expenditure estimate at all. That's not an accountant. So, you know, you sit there and you're like, I don't know what I'm going to spend this year, but if you switch it to an operating expense, well, now I know what I'm going to spend next quarter. You know, uh, you know, I, we get, you know, at the office, we get a credit card hit from Microsoft every month for a couple grand. And it is our Microsoft 365 outlook, you know, outlook and office packages. And when someone comes on, we add an account. When somebody leaves, we lower the account and it kind of adjusts each time, but we now know it's on a per employee basis. I don't need to, Figure out how to get the IT expenditure for a new employee to sign on. So I, I, you know, I think that you know, and you look at how that kind of moved. You know, will it enter other industries? Probably, because everyone's business is focused mostly on, you know, what is my income month after month. You know, a, a constant expense is much easier to handle than one big one a year. You know, if you have to go and pay. You know, if you have a 10, you know, it's like, why do most people escrow their property taxes and their homeowner's insurance? Because a couple hundred dollars a month rolled into your mortgage payment just becomes part of life. Most people can't come up with, you know, big one-time amounts. So in many ways, the subscription model uh, is really just that. It's moving it to, you know, I know what I'm spending each month. And you know, it has the spillover of if my customers hate me, they can look to replace me any month. Whereas if they've already paid me, I don't care if they hate me, but that's what I thought was interesting.
0: Uh, Okay. So something else that's interesting, it talks about a bit of the end of ownership culture. Uh, Kathy, Mary Kelly, what demographics do you guys work with? Any of you want to either you know, unmute and say, or if uh, you wanna just message it to me, it's fine. Um, okay, Kelly works with law firms. Kelly, what um, what kind of age range are you working with? Are you working with older people, younger people? Maybe you have no idea, <laughs> which is something else he talks about where you don't know anything about demographics of your customers. Mid age 35 to 50. Okay, so you're hitting, um, maybe it's like, oh, well, you're hitting like old millennials through Gen X more or less, right? And something with those millennials and the younger and, you know, that's Gen Xers to some extent have kind of um, gone through this, like you buy things phase. Like when we were younger, we'd buy all kinds of crap, like fill up your apartment with all these things, right? And then as you get older, you're like, oh, do I want to own all this stuff? But now like the younger people are like, why do I need to even own anything? They don't even need to buy a car. I can Uber, right? I can, uh, I don't know if Zipcar is still around anywhere. It's not by me in Florida. Um, Or, you know, if you're really urban, you can take scooters around. Like you really are getting rid of this idea of owning things. So it's, Kind of inherent in how people are expecting uh, just things in their life to operate, where you can just rent it, right? And if if I need accounting services for a few months, and you know I can go to Bet and say, hey, can you do accounting for a few months? And then they're like, yeah, we don't really want anymore, cancel it. They're they're co- becoming it's becoming an ex- expectation that this is how. Um, businesses will operate. Um, Mary said she works with small service and retail business. Mary, same question. Do you know, um, like age range of the owners that you're working with? I'm going to say about 40 to 70. So you might not run into this as much with the 40 to 70 crew. I mean, I'm 40, but, uh, Mm. and and I still sometimes like I did buy a car, (laughs) just bought a car, but you know, definitely have thought about like, oh, do you need a car? Like, could you get away with just taking Uber? And I know people who do it, they're usually much younger, but it's certainly something to think about if you're working with younger people that this is just going to be their expectation. You know, they can just go online and sign up for whatever it is they want. They want TV for the month, they want uh, groceries delivered for the month, whatever it is, they're just gonna have a different perception from this, I need to buy stuff. Like I need to buy apps or software. It's just a different, um, it's different thought process. And, you know, if you wanna stay relevant with the younger generations, it's something that you really have to think about. Uh, Kathy, what, um, I know Kathy, you do like more of a consultative uh, service. Do you know what age range you mostly work with? I don't know if we still have Kathy with us or not. <laughs> it's okay. Otherwise, but I thought that was just super interesting that really that just whole end of ownership. Um, yeah. So, oh, you know what? Um, I don't know if we still have Alex. I thought something else that was interesting where he talked about how hard it was to get the information about your customers. I actually just started this year uh, I have tried a few times, but I think I'm finally successful in implementing a CRM. Is anybody else using a CRM? No, I'm not. Any uh, well, any, well, do you mean, you mean for, uh, for marketing purposes? Or... Marketing, uh, sales. It's, it's, I guess it's more marketing and sales uh, for any
1: Well, I am currently restructuring a Zoho process, and probably within a, have done a few Salesforce migrations in the last you know couple of years. And I think one of the interesting things is, and this this is where I just find this interesting: the sales team always wants a CRM, right? Because they're tracking their sales process, but CRMs aren't designed for sales; they're designed for managing a customer relationship. So it all gets kind of hackneyed in there. But what's interesting about it is. Kind of that who is your customer, you know, you've got some really broad concepts, but, you know, it's kind of a well-known truism that it's easier to sell more to an existing customer than to acquire a new customer, right? And that's kind of the concept between, behind a CRM, right? Your salespeople bring someone in and then your account managers kind of work the account for whatever number of months, years that they're with you, you know? And I think what's interesting in the subscribed observation is what is that new service? you know, on the consumer side, you you know, Netflix started as a DVD mail order business and then they added the streaming and then they kind of switched to streaming entirely, but, and migrated their users over. But, you know, Amazon started by offering two day shipping and now offers, and then added music and then added video. You know, Apple sells products, but is utterly, uh, you know, adamant about that kind of growth. So, you know, what does a CRM do? It lets you know who your customer, little things. Do you call people on their birthday? You know, you have a personal Rolodex. Do you do that for your customers? I mean, the most basic CRM is your contact file. You know, so there's a lot of, yes, there's the sales deal tracking, but really it's the, how do I keep track of how people are without an actual, you know, you can have like a planner or something. I don't I've seen them.
0: <laughs> I gotta say, um, this is another thing I have tried multiple times. Um, I tried to use Insightly. Uh, I tried HubSpot, which I really wanted to work, but to get it really working, it's so expensive and complex and it, um, it, it just didn't happen for me. And right now I'm using Pipedrive, which is focused on sales, but it lets you uh, keep track of a lot of information about the people who are in there. So I'm really using it to see, um, like when I have my, all my clients in there, you know, what types of tax returns am I doing for them? What other services uh, am I offering them? How can I piece out like different types of information? Um, You know, who's on payroll? What payroll services are they using? Who should be on payroll? Who isn't? And it just lets me stay on top of clients and say, like, hey, you know, here's a missed opportunity for you. You know, maybe you're missing some tax planning. Maybe you're doing this. I'm offering them a lot of value by keeping track of specific information about them that. Otherwise, yes, I have it all theoretically. You know, it's in my tax software, it's in their accounting system. Uh, I know it in my head somewhere, but without having uh, that database to know all this information about your customers, it's really hard to figure out what is it that they need or want so that you can deliver it to them. Uh, Mary said, you tried Insightly, don't really have time trying to use constant contact. Can't seem to have time for that either. Yes. Well, (laughs) you know what, Mary, I will tell you, um, I have hit the point where I also don't have time for a lot of these things. And I actually had to bring on um, some help from marketing, just for marketing, uh, you know, like taking these videos, getting them on YouTube, getting them on my website. You can't do everything. I, I, you know, I say you're the CEO, the chief everything officer. and At a certain point, you run out of hours in the day (laughs) and you gotta find what's important to you and what can you hand off and that, you know, it might be that you need a little help with just that kind of administrative marketing piece. And it doesn't have to be serious. Like you don't have to have these web shows or anything crazy like that. Um, I, I put together, I had a, a VA at one point and I put together a list of birthdays of all my clients because someone had to manually go into my tax software and literally make a spreadsheet with all of that information, just so I could be able to send out like, Happy birthday postcards. You know, we have all this information. It's just not easy for us to get it together in one place.
1: You know, I sat at a uh, Salesforce little mini conference and they ask who here's a paperless office and we all put our hands up because it's like, yeah, no one's running paper around, right? Like we don't have carbonless. And they're like, how much your business, does any of your business run on spreadsheets? We're all like, yeah. They're like, then you're not paperless. And it was like a light bulb went off. You're like, you're right. A spreadsheets digital paper not an actual calculating one like with a business model like if it's an actual spreadsheet that's different that's using it but if you have a list of birthdays you know that's data that should live in a database that's not a spreadsheet you know a calcul. if you know if there's no calculations involved and you've got it in a spreadsheet it's because you don't have systems you know and it was really that was kind of the eye opener of what are all the business processes we have on sales for on um digital paper, you know, what lives in a Google Drive? What lives in OneDrive? What, you know, what are we tracking there? How do we build that out as a Salesforce app? How do we build that out as a Google form? Like whatever the system is, it doesn't really matter. It's just that you need to actually have a system so that there's some standardization. Otherwise, you know, you, you might as well be sending a notepad around the office if you're just keeping it on a spreadsheet because you know, it's slightly easier than erasing, but you still don't have the automated way. Whereas if it's in a system, you, know, you, can ha- you can then tie it in to put an alert on your calendar to call them on their birthday. You can put an alert to you know, mail them a card a week earlier. You can tie in with someone's system that does it. But if it's on a spreadsheet, you can't do any of those things except load it into a program that actually does things. So really that effort to get everything out of digital paper you know, okay, it's better than paper that we, you know, but if it's on digital paper and then you print it to look at it and then you sit there with a highlighter and then at the end of it, you throw it in the shredder and you're like, okay, I've done it. You're still paper-based, you know, you haven't put a system together. So I think that that was really, you know, a little off topic on subscribe, but also not, you know, how many of these little cloud apps solve a problem? You know, how many different calendaring apps have we all looked at? Because uh, sending a whole bunch of emails. We just had a directive at the office that is no more email threads. You know, email announcements, fine, but if there's a discussion, it needs to go on Teams. You know, and while none of us really like Microsoft Teams, it doesn't matter. It's at least gotten rid of the, I open my email and I have 400 messages and it's everyone saying me too, you know, and that's useless. So, you know, getting it out of there and into a chat program. So really, you know, it's, it's really about what are these little services, cheaper, or free, that make it easier to do my job and run the business that are really important. And that's really where, you know, the subscription model is. Uh, And it's so interesting. And, you know, I see Mary's comment that, you know, tried insightly and didn't have the time and constant contact. Like they're all time consuming to learn, but how much time do you actually spend? How much, how much time do you spend because you're only doing half the business you should be? So you're spending twice as long on marketing that you should because you don't follow up with people or you don't stay in front of people. You know, in marketing, we always talk about points of contact, hopefully positive ones, you know, but every time you email people, every time you, you know, send them a message, every time they see you on LinkedIn, it's that kind of point of contact that builds the relationship. And, you know, that is kind of that, you know, how you do business with people and not companies, like without those points of contact, things get kind of lost. So a CRM, if you're looking at it as a sales tool, okay, you don't necessarily have time. You may not need to. And if you look at it as how do I organize my day, you know, none of us would go back to, my mother used to use like a paper, I'm sorry if anyone here on the list, my mother used to have like this paper planner and I would watch each year where she would go and copy phone numbers from one to the other. And it was like this cathartic thing for, I couldn't contemplate that my calendar has been passed from phone to phone for like 12 years, you know? What, you know, and really a CRM is really just that next level where now you've got the those people as contacts and you've got them grouped into companies and you kind of track your activities to whatever level you want. So I think that, you know, what whatever it is, how do you move your, bit? you know, at a, its core of subscribed is how do you make sure your clients like you and how do you, you know, turn this into an ongoing relationship instead of a one and done system. And everyone on here that's a consultant is doing it. You know, everyone who works with the same clients month after month, year after year is doing it. It's just, is it structured or not? And do you have a plan for it? Because then it's subscribed and it's very exciting. But if you just go back to the same people each year, it's the same thing. But it's really, how do you build those relationships and build your business around the people you like working with and like you versus who who can I sell to this week? You know, I want to ring the bell or blow the horn or whatever your sales floor does.
0: Um, there was something that he mentioned in here, and I don't remember where in the book it, it fell out, but he talks about the incongruity between your internal processes and your business and what your customers want, which I thought was really interesting because, I mean, I'll give you like a very specific example. Every once in a while, when I do a tax return, it has to be sent in on paper for whatever reason. Most of the time we use the e-file system. Sometimes it doesn't. So when inevitably, every time I have one of those, it needs to be filed on paper. I get it all prepped. It takes so much longer to get it prepped to be, uh, I'm saying on paper, it's a PDF, but it's not You know, kind of done for me by the software. I have to manipulate it a bit. And I send it to the client and I'm like, here you go, you know, sign it, send it out. Oh, uh, we, uh, we changed, we moved. Can you just update the address? oh my God, update the address takes me an hour because you have to change it. The system, not a big deal, but you have to reprint it, reformat everything, do it all over again. And you know, most of the time it's like, whatever, suck it up and do it. But you know, if you're really busy, it's like this becomes such a horrible thing and the customer just doesn't care, right? The client's like, you screwed this up, you need to fix it. And I'm just like, don't you understand that this doesn't work for me? And he really highlights in here how you know, your processes have very little to do with your customer happiness. (laughs) And, you know, when you're focused on how do I make my customer happy, you kind of have to get past those um, process issues. And he talks a lot about like realigning how uh, your business operates and making it lean. And uh, he really trashes ERPs, which I've never used an ERP. I don't really know much about them, but how they're like dinosaurs um, and not you know, not useful so much for a um, very much.
1: Yeah. And what he's really trashing is Oracle. Cause he doesn't like Oracle's ERP because all of these systems ERP just means enterprise resource planner. If you use a payroll system, that's part of your ERP. If you use an accounting system, that's part of your ERP. If you've ever reserved a room or, you know, tracked your calendar for consulting work, that's your ERP. All ERP is I plan how I run my business, not just sales. So really, up until the point you sell the client as your CRM, everything after the client says yes is your ERP, and that contract is kind of that transitionary phase. So he like he trashed the, the, the legacy ones because the legacy ones were messes, but really, you know, a project management system, none of us would go back to not having that, and a project management system is part of an ERP. You know, it's just... Do you have it as a big integrated dinosaur from Oracle, or do you have it piecemeal? But either way, it's kind of the, uh, you know, where how do you operate your business? How do you track things? You know, if you have 10 consultants working for you, do you know when they're engaged? Do you know who's engaged next month? Are you just gonna pay people and hope you have work for them? Right? Like, <laughs> you know, so that that really is, you know, all these things are just what does my ERP do for me? versus do I need the concept of it so I thought sorry that was I thought one the kind of the you know what is in a subscription-based world what does your ERP look like looks totally different you know you need something that does re- recurring billing you know that used to be a nightmare you know could you like it's the equivalent you know you can't actually take someone's credit card and like scan it each month and like you know remember those old carbon things that you rolled across like you know but you got to be able to do a subscription service and remember when everyone tried to make you not cancel and it was impossible to find the cancellation and you could sign up in three seconds but if you wanted to cancel you had to do you know 12,000 steps well that's a great way to get panned and go out of business so it really has to be frictionless I have to want to do business with you not be tricked into it
0: yeah that's all such great um, concepts. I'm just thinking about when I tried to leave my gym a million years ago when I left Boston, (laughs) like I was like, I physically moved to Florida, like please stop charging me. And I had to prove to them that I actually left. I'm like, are you kidding me? Like, uh, I'm like half a cotton away, like leave me alone. Uh, But okay, so uh, I think that's pretty much the gist of it. You know, just to backtrack, you gotta start thinking about things that seem like a one-off experience as a, how do I uh, take what I think I sell, right? And turn it into what does my customer need? Um, one of the things that actually was interesting, I'll just tell another story from the book. He talks about, I don't think it was Caterpillar. I think it was one of their uh, competitors. So they made these like, you know, giant uh, equipment, like bulldozer type, you know, dirt moving things. And they realized that, Yes, they sell this giant machinery, but they were really in the business of helping their customers move dirt. And once they made that uh, realization that there's a difference between what do they do or sell and what business are they really in for their customers, it allowed them to create a subscription service that they didn't have before. So if you can figure out like, what business are you really in? I'll say for me, I thought, that you know, as an accountant, CPA, I thought I created tax returns and financial statements. No, that is not the business that I am in. I guess that is my um, <laughs> marriage some babysitting. Okay, sometimes I'm also a psychiatrist, but <laughs> but the business I'm in is creating peace of mind for my clients that their finances are are okay, that they don't owe a million dollars on April 15th, that they are going to stay in business. Uh, that you know they don't have IRS problems. So my the business I'm really in is financial peace of mind. And once I realized that, and that I'm not in the business of producing tax returns, like yeah I do do that, but that's not really what I'm doing for my customers. It it helped me figure out how to create a subscription based service. So that's going to be the thing that you're going to have to go home and think about. You know what business am I really in? How am I really benefiting my clients? And then once you do that, start to think about how do I turn that into a service where I can have an ongoing relationship with my clients that goes on and on? Um, How do I interact with people who don't necessarily buy things, right? They just rent them. So if they're renting you, they're renting like a piece of your brain, how can you turn that into a subscription service so that they keep coming back to you? and you know, finding the right clients. Anybody who is any kind of business consultant will tell you: like your customer is not everyone. It's not possible. You, and you don't want it to be everyone because that just drives you right down to the bottom. You become a commodity. You don't want to work with everyone. Uh, I also work with law firms uh, and consultants, things like that. Um, you know, I don't. I don't do um, very much retail. So Mary, glad to know that you do. I'd love to send people to somebody else because when they come to me, I just cringe. Restaurants and retail, I like run away screaming. Um, and, and yeah, just, you know, rethinking your general approach to the new world where everyone wants a click and to have what they want right away. Uh, I don't really have much else. I highly, highly recommend reading this book. It will change your mind. I... I was really like against value pricing and like all this stuff for a long time because I was so trapped in that. Like I sell my hours. And if you ever want to get past selling your hours and to grow your business, you need to think of, think of things in different ways. Um, it, it's not going to be an overnight, you know, oh, I get it now. It, it literally probably took me five years of thinking about this <laughs> to get to the point where I'm like, I get it now. Um, so that's, that's all I got. They have anything they want to hop on. Shout out, thoughts. All right, let me see. I will tell you what the next book club, because I already have that. Uh, Let's see, February. And I I am actually gonna have to change the date. Um, The next book is Delivering Happiness, a Path to Profits, Passion and Purpose, which I believe is written by the guy who founded Zappos. Uh, I thought it was a nice tie-in to this subscription. It's like, how do you, okay, you got somebody who wants to work with you, they like you. How do you make sure they're happy? You want people to have that good customer experience. Um, so on Facebook, I have a, uh, a group, it's Bet's Business uh, Book Club. We'll try to see if I can drop the link to it in here. Go and join that. Um, I also have prior. I've been doing this for like uh, a year or two. I don't, I don't remember at this point how long I've been doing it. Um, if you want to see old uh, books that we covered, they're on YouTube. You can go find my YouTube channel. Uh, sorry, they're also to- right
1: on your website.
0: And on my website, which is it's easy, maybe easier to figure out. Okay, here's the link to the group.
1: But if you go to the videos on your website, there's book club, and it will take you right there. there's also there. Thank you so much. You know, anyone wants to like have a virtual coffee, talk about, and do
0: this, hit me up. I'm finding it so fascinating, being such like a, you know, hourly straight narrow accounting person, and it's it's blown my mind a little. But that's all I got, guys. Thank you so much. Hopefully, see you next month.